Yo, what's up, everybody? Uh, welcome to the Pitcher Bet Sports Podcast. On today's episode, we are diving into who we think is going to raise the trophy in the NBA Finals. The Lakers find themselves a new head coach. And then we are diving into the numbers. We are swimming with Billy Bean. We are going into the baseball depths of the analytic world. The Woba, the FIP, who we think you should put your futures on for MVP, what pitchers are real, which ones are pretenders, and a lot of learning along the way. We aren't experts here, but we'll make you one. Let's run the music. What up, everybody? Welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Matt Guest, with me out in Vegas. We were just talking before we started recording. The heat wave is here. It's officially summertime. Um, I think even in Cali, we are expecting, and, and I live by the beach, so we're expecting 95 to almost 100, which is really hot um, on the coast where I live. But what's good, Matt? How are you, my man? I know this is a big Matt Morris episode today. I'm super fired up. <laughs> yeah, we got some numbers to throw at you guys. Uh, so excited. Always, always my shit, even though I'm really not known as the academic here um, by any means. <laughs> but uh, dude, it's hot. It is hot here in Vegas. Uh, went and got the dog today and went to the wrong groomer. So I got to spend about 45 minutes in the classic. Yeah. Those of you that don't know, I drive a, I think at this point, it's like a 22 year old Buick, right? Like at 2000, least. maybe 2001 Buick. So the over Lissabre. 20. Yeah. No AC here in the desert. This hopefully <laughs> will be my last summer with that, uh, with that little caveat, but uh, it's hot out here, man. And we're not, we're only going to be getting hotter. So, you know, buckle up. No AC, the ceiling is ripped apart, <laughs> falling on your head, right on the back of your neck, cloth interior, holes in your seat, throw up from four years, maybe five years ago now at this point. That's just etched <laughs> into the carpet. Um, if you want to lose some weight, if you're into the sauna, if you're into sweating it out, the La Sabre is where it's at. You know, it's it's an absolute classic. But for some reason, that car compared to any car that you'd spend 40000 plus on right now is going to get you farther in life into your destination than that new car. <laughs> for some reason, we you bought that car when we lived together. Actually, you had it before we lived together. Yep. It broke down a few times, came back to life, broke down again. Once again, the throw-up situation was in between there. Maybe we'll get to that on one of these Sundays. Um, and here we are and you still, I can't believe you still have that car. I can believe you're still driving it though. And then it's just funny. I can, I just imagine you cause the last time I was in Vegas was, um, this past summer or like late, I think it was around August, uh, when I was out there for a bachelor party oh, I and dropped you, picked you off me at, at the boys house. Yeah. Well, and you picked <laughs> me up and we recorded a pod. I think it was right before football season and I was so hung over and you picked me up in that. And I just immediately had the sweats and you were like trying to like, Oh, do you want to go get raising canes or whatever? And I'm like, dude, I like a sweat is coming out of my fingernails right now. I'm so fucking <laughs> like, so, I'll do anything uh, to get out of this hot yeah, ass car. Like, right can now. we do it's anything whatever, whatever besides be in this car? Yeah. So, um, yeah, good luck. But yeah, I know you're you're on the up and up right now. The pod's on the up and up. Your personal life's on the up and up. So this may be the last desert run for the Lasabre. 
Well, and it's funny, dude. You know, I was just thinking about this today when I was in the when I was in the grocery store picking up some energy drinks before we recorded today. And I'm bumming it like I always do, and. <laughs> It was just like, you know, it feels good to not really give a shit about what other people think about you. You know, that's right. something I think in life we should all strive to do. And it's something I've gotten better at. But the point of this conversation is I was having that like conceptual idea. And then I was thinking about the car and all my coworkers, all my coworkers are rolling fucking Teslas, you know, brand new Jeeps. They're, you know, they're rolling in and, you know, Dodge F-150s, $70,000 yeah. cars. You know, we, oh yeah, Ford F-150. Um but dude, the classic man, she gets me to work and that's really all I ask of her. And, uh, but to the original point of this conversation, it was 104 out here today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's going to be hot. It's going to be a hot summer. Um, it's not going to be hot out in Boston. We'll just jump right into mm. the NBA. We got to talk a little NBA before we get into the baseball stuff today because we got the quarter year report. That's what we're going to go into with the numbers. Um, we kind of talked about it. We posted a little bit online about our thoughts for the series, right? I, I think I'm just going to echo the sentiment. The game is tomorrow, the day that this podcast is going to be released, um, which is the 8th. We're recording on June 7th. Uh, oh, it's almost June 8th. It's kind of late tonight. But um, the Warriors are three-point dogs tomorrow for game three. I personally think the game that Boston wins is game four. I think if they're going to lose, they're going to lose tomorrow. And then when their back's up against the wall, kind of like they've done all postseason, win game four. Um, but three-and-a-half-point dogs right now. I've just been staring at that number. I haven't pulled the trigger on taking it yet, but... I promise you I'm not even considering Boston minus three and a half, which is why I don't feel good about the bet at all. And now it's having me double, triple, quadruple think that shit maybe is game three, the game Boston wins and Golden State wins game four. I don't know. What do you you think about that number, that line, and and obviously the state of the series? Well, it's interesting when you're looking at it from the betting perspective here. Um, I don't think that we can properly set a line for game three. I think game four, you can properly set a line for it because if Golden State comes in here and wins by 11, you know, they cover right. by 14 and a half points at that point, right? Yeah. Um, that It's like, okay, now now Vegas and now the lines across this country are going to have to reset and say, okay, the Warriors have this. It is, their, it is their series. Like, we have to reset everything. As it stands right now, that Boston game one win is really screwing things up. And it wasn't even really a Boston game one win for me. It was a collapse by Golden State and then obviously Correct. the hot shooting performance of Boston, right? So I think in reality what this game should be set at is honestly Golden State minus two and a half. You know, like give Golden State the That's favorite. what I'm thinking too. Right? Like the, to me, I would take that three and a half all day long. Right. Because again, right. I think Golden State's the better team. Now, if Boston can come in here and win this, you know, we talked about this on Sunday. I'm assuming then that it's over. Like Golden State takes this, it's done. Boston wins, completely resets everything the rest of the series. Now you're talking about, yes, game four. Boston's probably a favorite. Golden State probably wins. But this is the pivotal game, man. This is it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. This is going to set the tone. Uh, First finals game in the Garden in Boston in 10 years. So, you know, I think... Um, what I'm leaning right now is they have a pretty cool boost on FanDuel. It's Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum both to score five points in the first quarter. It's plus 150. I think I'm going to jump on that. I think I'm going to jump on the Celtics to win the first quarter. And then I think most likely I'll tweet this out, but most likely I'll probably take the Warriors at the three and a half. I just have to. And then the other flyer I'm going to take as well is Clay Thompson to make five threes. I have a really weird feeling, myself included, when we were chatting this weekend, 
talking shit on him. The media has been talking shit on him. He's a Hall of Fame player. He played one of the worst games of his career. He's had two really, really rough games to start this series. Um, I think it's clay day tomorrow night, and that's also why I feel a little confident in Golden State because if he gets 20, 25 points, as we've discussed a few times on here, they're going to win. I still like the Warriors. I still like the Warriors in six. Yeah, I, I like the Warriors in five. Um, obviously, that gets shattered if they lose tomorrow, but right. I'm going to stand by that, and I agree with you. I don't know if Clay goes off tomorrow because I don't think you can predict when Clay goes off, but in our conversation <laughs> on Sunday, we said it. Like, what was it, one from eight for three? You said they kept him out there. Like, to yeah, get he looked terrible, rhythm. and he he's didn't either, get his rhythm. <laughs> yeah, well, he, well, he's either going to find it tomorrow or he's going to find it in game four. He's going to find right. it in game five. I absolutely guarantee you, and you've said it too, within the next three games, he has at least a 25-point game because he's just going to get so damn hot. He shoots seven, eight threes, and he's going to nail all but one of them, right? And it's going to be all in a quarter because that's what Clay does. Yep. And um, that's going to win them the game flat out. And if it happens tomorrow, pack your bags. It's over. Yep. Uh, so I think by next Tuesday night when we record, we probably have a champion crowned. We yep. got a game Wednesday. We got a game Friday. And then uh, if we move on to another game after that, wait, no, we'll have to move on to another game after that. That game is on Monday. Monday, Monday, or, Monday or Tuesday. Or Tuesday. Night, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I yeah. think it's Monday if I'm... I think it's they get two days off in between. Yeah. So we'll probably either be crowning a champion or talking about that uh, pivotal game six. So super stoked. Uh, the last thing you kind of wanted to chat a little bit about this before we get into baseball. Uh, the Lakers have signed their new head coach, Darvin Ham, our guy from Milwaukee, the assistant coach for the Milwaukee Bucks. I was actually really stoked on this hire for them. I know you're really excited and there's a couple things you want to jump to. So I'm going to pass this to you here in a second. Um, I'm glad they didn't kick the rocks, kick the tires and try and somehow get Doc Rivers. Go get a good guy. Go get a young guy. Go get a fresh head coach, a new perspective. Someone LeBron likes, hopefully someone AD and Russ likes. And um, thus far, I'm positively optimistic, um, but I, I definitely want to pass it over to you because you're you're kind of fired up about this. Well, yeah, and I just had a quick thought, too, while you're talking about this. Um, there's a really good chance that Darvin Ham and LeBron James' relationship is extremely lucrative for Darvin Ham. Uh, it's a 50-50 shot. If you look at LeBron James's coaches over the course of, let's just say, the last 15 years of his career, uh, half of them are in this league today known as extremely talented individuals, right? Mike Brown yeah. just got a job again and is a very good, I think, it's an unbelievable assistant coach and an average head coach, but he seems to find himself in interesting situations. Um, <laughs> Eric Spoltra in Miami, right? It's probably a top 10 coach out there right now. I think 100%. that's a guaranteed. Easily. You, yep. yep. Easily. Ty Lue, right? Clippers, you were about to crown him as you know the second coming of Jesus a little while ago here. He's uh, a very good coach. Yes. Didn't work out, but yeah, he's a great coach. Um, and then his I, uh, team was hurt, but yeah, whatever. yeah, I'm not knocking you for that. I just, you know, to the credit <laughs> yeah, of like, yeah, you yeah. see that I don't necessarily watch the NBA enough to see that. Um, and then the, the handful of guys that are trash, I don't even remember outside of Vogel who else coached LeBron and know there was that guy from well, Russia. Yeah. I, I mean, think. yeah, I mean, they, I mean, Vogel, they did win a championship and then is, mm -hmm. uh, David Blatt is who you're looking for. Blatt. Yeah. Dude, who Tyler okay. took over for halfway through that year. That's right. Um, in Cleveland, His, I think that was LeBron's first year back in Cleveland. I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, but yeah, so Darvin Ham, I love the signing. I mean, coming from Milwaukee's organization, I think he's obviously been around enough superstars to understand 
understand how to manage personalities. I think also he's coached under a system coach that has shown success in multiple organizations, whether that's playoff success or not, that you can learn both ways from that. And then just hearing what Ham has talked about over the last couple of days since being introduced, I heard him today talk about three takeaways he was promising the fan base. Um, and one of those was accountability. And accountability is exactly what that team needs. Outside of LeBron James, they need someone to hold everybody else accountable. And he also said being together as a team and as a unit. That's another really big piece that they didn't have. And I feel like Russell Westbrook was really cast onto his island last year, and they cannot allow that again this coming season. Win or fail, or succeed or fail with Russell, you've got to be a family and you've got to support each other as a team. And I really feel like Vogel kind of allowed that locker room to essentially bully and utilize Russ as the scapegoat. And if they can find a way with Ham to bring everyone together, I really do believe there's success. Another one of the takeaways he said was uh, he wants the team to just overall be competitive. And I know that's simple and it's like a very (laughs) easy thing to say, but there were a lot of games where they weren't competitive, right? Because people just didn't give a shit. And even if LeBron's not out there and Russ isn't out there and Anthony's not out there, like you got to have your entire team trying to win. So I want to see all these things instilled in this Lakers team. But I also kind of said this to you before we jumped on. I think he can set a foundation and an expectation for this team to move forward into the future, even when LeBron's not there. Like this is Darvin Ham's opportunity to be the Lakers head coach for the next eight to 10 years. And if he can lay the same foundation Milwaukee has laid, I think that's the guy, you know, that's the guy that ushers in the new age of Laker basketball. Yeah, 100 percent. And the fact that he was on the staff uh, back when Kobe was playing as well. Um, he was on the Detroit, uh, the not the Bad Boy Pistons, uh, the Ben Wallace Pistons. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even know what their nickname was, but obviously they were super awesome, super successful. Beat that super team in LA for the title that year. Only pessimistic thing I, I kind of want to say, and this is more to the the social media narrative of this hiring, is that he's going to transform Anthony Davis into Giannis. Everyone's like showing, oh, this is what Anthony Davis is going to be now with Darvin Ham. And it's like all the ones of him backing people down, <laughs> posting people up. And it's like, that's so disrespectful to Giannis. Be- the reason being, and I like AD. Remember, I was on my yeah. fucking soapbox saying five, he was five. better than LeBron. And LeBron yeah. can't be top five if he's not the best player on his team. And then he made me look like an asshole, you know? <laughs> it, like, no, no way around that. And the reason he made me look like an asshole and he's just not that guy. And, you know, I'm, I'm fully aware of that now is you got to want it. You know, you got to work hard. And obvi- the health is, is an obvious thing, but you have to want it. And to go and say just because a coach from the Bucks who worked with Giannis, who did well with Giannis throughout his young career into his development into the best player in the league is going to directly translate to a guy like Anthony Davis. Like they're two different humans. I just don't think that's going to happen. And that's not a knock on him. That's a knock on Davis. What you can hope out of him is those three things you said. Let's be accountable. Let's make sure we're in shape. Let's make sure we're doing everything we can to avoid injury. Obviously, some of the ones that happened this year were, were freak injuries. I'll give Anthony that. But to come in here and say that he's going to be the next coming of Giannis and he's going to transform Anthony Davis's game into this huge, powered, big, like, that's just not going to happen. He wants to dribble. He wants to take step back threes. He wants to play like a guard. He's not that physical. He's not Giannis. So that's the only type of criticism I'm going to give for the hiring. And, and once again, this is more narrated towards social media that it's like, Davis just isn't that guy so don't expect that and also don't come after ham when anthony davis uh you know twists his ankle a little bit because he's doing a step back pirouette and falls on someone's foot because he's seven two so 
No, I agree with you. And, I, and honestly, I haven't even seen that narrative, but you're in the basketball world more than I am. And I just think that's that's a naive take from those people, right? Because they're grasping at straws with the little information they have about Darvin Ham well, being and from it's, the Milwaukee sorry, organization. It, it, yeah, not to interrupt, but it's it's just typical Southern California, LA media in June, right? Like this is this is every it sucks for the Lakers, but this is every mediocre bad team's Christmas right now, right? Like for us yeah. as Packer fans, this is the time of the year where the Vikings and Bears fans try and come out and say how much better they are and how much better their roster yeah. is, and Aaron Rodgers is shit, and you guys lose all these playoffs games, like. Come middle of the season, come 75% of the way when you're talking about how we need to keep losing to get better draft picks like this shit is laughable, you know, so this is the time of the year where it's like, oh, Russ is going to work and everything's going to be great. And like, I hope it is. I, I still root for Westbrook. I still root for the Lakers and LeBron kind of, you know, but like, let's be realistic. This is a bad team still. There's a long, long way to go. So when they're bad again, don't be surprised. Okay. Well, and um, it's interesting because if you look at Dan, uh, is it Dan Snyder who quit today for Washington? No, for oh, I'm sorry, we're not talking. I'm not, not not Dan Snyder, the guy for the Utah Jazz. Snyder is his last name. Oh, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think his first name is Quinn. I Quinn think Snyder. Quinn? Okay, yeah, Quinn? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he stepped um, down. The I rebuild's found it interesting on. because yeah, well, the rebuild's on, but he was a name that L.A. sports media was talking about as a possible succession for Vogel, right? And this was over the last three <laughs> yeah. months. It heated up, I think, about three weeks ago before Ham really emerged as the front-running candidate. And I like Quinn Snyder a lot, actually. Um, yeah, I think he's done a pretty okay job in Utah, but I also think Darvin Ham was the better hire here. But I, I thought he would be a mistake if you brought him in because Utah dealt with kind of the same issues in terms of at least managing those personalities that we now saw with Russ. So I do think this was the right call, and I think Quinn Snyder could have been a massive mistake. They just barely avoided because look at the timing of this. He steps away a couple days after Ham is announced. Yeah, 100%. I agree with you. If he couldn't handle Donovan Mitchell and Rudy yeah. Gobert drama, like he he's not a fit to deal with LeBron James. Like yeah. I don't even know if Darvin – there isn't too many coaches that are fit to handle LeBron, right? Like No, but they learn, and that's what I kind of wanted to bring up too, right? Like with Lou and – um Spolstra and and who who is who else is probably the biggest name that I think Mike, honestly Mike I Brown. think I, th- I think it's those two and now honestly it was it was Lou and Spolstra because Lou came them. in right right exactly he, I think and, he and those guys are yeah and those guys are prestigious coaches in the league right I you can make a fair argument for both of those men as top five coaches in the NBA Fully like agree what Spolstra did with that Miami roster like Jimmy Butler gets a lot of the credit completely deserving. But let's not put it past what Spolstra did all season two. Ty I mean, Lue, like the Clippers, like we talked, I don't remember what episode it was, but, mm-hmm. and you can follow me on Twitter. I talk about this on Twitter all the time, but the Clippers had no business being good this year. They had no Kawhi, no PG. PG comes back at the end of the year, plays his ass off, plays like a top 10 player in the league. They, they, they didn't have a great team. It's, it's tough to be a high seed to even get into that play in tournament when your entire season, your two best players don't play. Like the, the Lakers would have given up. They did, you know? Yeah. Davis no, went down, you. they gave up. They didn't, LeBron literally didn't even play the last chance game they had against the Suns. And they lost by 30. So like. <laughs> oh, 
Okay, so for the next segment here, we're going to dive into baseball. It is officially a quarter of a w- of the way through the baseball season. So Matt and I have been kind of waiting, going back and forth, just like, eh, when should we really start diving in on numbers, the season, how many, uh, how many homers these guys have, stats, who's going to win MVP. We made our picks and all this stuff. And Matt Morris was like, dude, we should go over the WOBA and the FIP of these players. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? You know, like I was like, I've literally never heard of this. And you were explaining to me about the, basically the saber metrics, their advanced analytics. And you sent me a couple of videos so I could educate myself so we could get into it on this. Um, and, and I'm beyond fired up, right? Like I'm, I, I wouldn't say a casual baseball fan. I don't play fantasy baseball, so I'm not as dialed in as you. I'm not as locked into the whole like analytics world of baseball as much as you are, but I definitely love the game. Um, I bet the game. I'm really diving into this no-run first inning, which is the most electric bet <laughs> in all of sports, in my opinion. Um, so we're going to go over some of the the WOBA and the, and the FIP here. So I am going to pass it over to you and... We'll let the listener know, like the reason we're going to go into these advanced stats is we'll obviously cover some home runs. You know, we'll cover RBIs, slugging percentage, OPS, kind of the basic stuff, right? That I don't know. I always just looked at, but um, this Woba specifically for hitting is is really fascinating to me um, to kind of show the individuality of the players and what they're actually doing at the plate every single time. So Matt, I'll I'll pass to you here for the Woba. We'll start with the... Um, the hitters and the offensive side of things. And then we'll move to the pitchers here a little bit after we talk about some of the best hitters in the league and who we like, who we're surprised with, who's a pretender, who's actually really fucking good. Yeah. And Wobo, if you, if you really break it down and you want a classification to gauge, okay, how good is this hitter? How can I place him in terms of, you know, from a franchise perspective, should I sign him? Should I give him an extension? Like how much money is he worth really at the core level of the team? If we strip away the idea that like, oh, he hit 41 home runs last year, but he hit 210, (laughs) right? Like that's a Joey Gallo opportunity. But what is Joey Gallo actually giving to the team? What was an opportunity for you to really look at that? You look back at 2019, one of the big leaders was Christian Yelich. And if you remember Christian Yelich's little swing there for, I'd say, two and a half seasons before he broke the kneecap, his Woba was absolutely incredible because everything Christian did was benefiting the team. It was home runs. It was doubles. It was stolen bases. Um, everything you could equate towards actually being a good player individually. And that's what Woba is doing. It's stripping away. Okay, well, you've hit a home run. There are three guys on. Like, good for you. You hit a grand slam. Like, you get four RBIs. But in reality, like all you really did was hit a home run and give yourself a run. You shouldn't be credited necessarily for driving those three other players in because that just pads your RBIs. So Wolf is a uh, statistic that you can really just look at from an individual player's perspective. And this season, Aaron Judge is actually our biggest leader. If you look at Judge's home runs, runs driven in, runs average, you could probably tell me he was a good baseball player. But right now, his Wolf is at 444, which is pretty outstanding. Um, Paul Goldschmidt coming in also at 442 for a Woba. He's number two in the league. But if you actually look at Paul Goldschmidt, another number that we can look at to kind of gauge where he's at the rest of the season um, is his BABIP. So BABIP is batted average with balls in play. So basically, if you have 10 hits, you hit 10 balls out of 10 opportunities, that average is going to say you got X amount of hits from those batted balls. So his his average at uh, BABIP is 397, which ultimately means it's higher than league average. So he's getting a lot of a lot of luck. He'll hit a ball where there isn't essentially a position player. 
So whether he's being shifted or they're playing him straight up, essentially look for regression, which will also lead to regression on his WOBA. So there's just two data points that I really like to look at. Yeah, and I thought what was before the guys that were kind of interesting me, I thought what was really cool about the stat and basically what what what's so significant about it is it really takes it a step deeper, right? Like, and it'll actually calculate um, your average based on the balls that you're hitting, right? That if you hit a certain amount of singles, it's going to take that into consideration. Doubles, triples, home runs, right? Obviously the walks. Whereas my favorite stat to look at to determine if someone was good was an OPS, right? I thought yep. that was the most straightforward, easiest analytical thing to look at, right? on-base percentage plus slugging because slugging takes into account a little bit more than just the batting average, right? But what this will actually do is they they put in the factor, right, is what you kind of brought up with the 2019. Um, basically, just it's the adjusted run expectancy of a batting event in the context of the season as a whole. So a, a, a single has a specific factor. A double has a factor, so what everyone's average does is you times the factor number times the number of singles, doubles, or triples, or home runs that they hit, which is where you get these numbers. All in all, in summary, what it means to me, Matt, and correct me if I'm wrong here, it's basically the true value of you as a hitter, right? It's, okay, yes. how this score, this weighted on base average. So basically, how much are you impacting the on on base how often are you on base how are you impacting the game in a positive way right a that's how your number gets up high and uh, what's judge at the four would you just say is that like 440 or something 444 but you're spot on the only thing i'm going to add to this is this season with the environment that we're playing in right that we're watching these players play in they're using data from 2021 because they don't have enough data yet to actually pull in the the woba for this season so Basically, what I'm saying is what you just described to the listener is the factor. Okay, so what Fangraph does and Major League Baseball does is they pull numbers from last year for the environments and they use that as the factor. We'll say X, right? X times you have 20 home runs. So 20 home runs times X is maybe it's 0. 0.440, whatever. Because that number was the environmental control number from last year, that then leads to, to the, we'll say the score, as you said, that goes into your WOBA. So this season, because the ball is so different and because the environment is acting so different, while yes, Judge is at a 0.444, he may not be. He may be at like a 0.501 because they haven't properly calculated what this this baseball is because we don't know what the baseball is. We're starting to see more home runs, but like, is that because they brought the old ball back? Like the environment is so confusing that Woba right now, we're not really sure if it's right or wrong, but I can tell you, probably actually lower than it should be yeah well and it's only i I think the most games in plate appearances i see on here are in the 250 range plate appearances as well as the games are you know some teams are at about 55 games which that's just not a big enough sample size to get that factor the factor is basically the average right yeah um a couple guys on here that was really interesting what made this stand out to me um, would be the first first example actually is the league leader in batting average, right? Who is Luis? Uh, how do I say this guy's last name? Ares, Ares uh, from um, Minnesota. Is it, it Ares from Minnesota? The third base, second base guy. Yeah. Yes. 
So he's leading the league right now. He's tied with, or sorry, he's tied with JD Martinez right now, hitting 358. But he's not even in the top 30 in Woba. So mm. what that like means to me and how I'm putting this together and how I, I think it's pretty. And it's, this isn't even a knock on Luis. Like shit, you're hitting 358. That's still excellent. But the values of your hits, of your at-bats, of what you're doing at the plate does not equate to you being the quote-unquote best hitter. Whereas 10, 15, honestly, five years ago, I pull this list up and I'm sitting here on my soapbox saying, well, Luis uh, Ares here has the best average. He's the best hitter. Him and JD are better than everyone. But it's like, well, JD actually has a 420 Woba. His slugging is actually at 551. His on-base percentage is a little bit lower. But the value of JD's hits and his slugging and his on-base percentage is actually higher. And what he's doing every time he makes contact or comes to the plate is actually more valuable and better to his team than Luis, which I'm fascinated by this. Like, I'm really excited to kind of, like, even look deeper into this because... And obviously, once again, this isn't a knock on this guy's hitting 358. He's doing something right. You know what I mean? Well, um, uh, but, you know, it just, it, it's crazy. So that's interesting here. We'll talk about these two players since you just brought them up and we'll talk about Babbitt, right? I've talked a little bit about Babbitt earlier. To me, ultimately, Babbitt is a great opportunity to see it has a player been hot or has he been cold? Do you see a, a, a player's at a 200 Babbitt? You know, okay. And say traditionally with history, they've been a really good hitter. Just say, um, Bryce Harper, Babbitt is at 200. You're like, okay, he's cold, right? He's either cold or he's really, 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 really unlucky because it is balls in play. So usually he's unlucky, right? Those home runs that he's missing by five feet come a month or two from now, they should probably be going out. That Babbitt will climb. Or maybe he continues to hit the ball into the shift. Like he's going to have to learn to hit the ball the other way, right? Those are just things within Babbitt. So JD Martinez's right. Babbitt is the opposite end here. He's at a 468 yeah. Babbitt, which means every ball he hits in play, half of them are hits. That is outrageous. So he's sitting there with an, an incurred average of 358, but it's like, okay. We know regression is coming. JD's older, but that shouldn't really matter when we're just looking at the raw numbers here. The 468 BABIP is insane. I would not be surprised when we look at this come September if JD Martinez's BABIP is still around like the 360, 370 range because it is already so high, but that average should probably drop down to like the 310 mark, if not under 300, because oh my God, like there is so much regression coming. And then Luis Urias is betting 393 with his BABIP. Um, this is a small, small regression probably coming, but like that, right. that's the thing, man, like he's a base hit hitter. And I think a really cool thing that like we kind of looked, uh, heard today when we were doing some of our research into these numbers in this suburb saver metrics was, you know, you can't equate does Urias, does Urias hit a base hit in front of Byron Buxton, who then homers and has he done that four or five times, which really aids to his team's value, right? Or does Buxton hit a home run and then with Arias placed in the order at the 7-8 swing, he just hits a base hit and the inning's over right after him. Like Those things are important. Yeah, dude, that's super interesting. And, and just now going back to the leaderboard on the WOBA, right, and, and how it relates to basically our MVP candidates, you know, at this point in the season for the, uh, for the NL and the AL, right? So Aaron Judge is leading the league. Obviously, he's the leader in the clubhouse right now. If you punched your ticket early on in the season for Judge AL MVP, you got to be stoked right now. 
Um, he's slugging 677, hitting 313. He's got 21 home runs, 42 RBIs, uh, just absolutely crushing it, right? Um, the Woba 444. So basically the the impact of the balls that he's hitting are significant. Not much better than Paul Goldschmidt, not much better than Jose Ramirez as well. But what's really interesting, let's jump back to J.D. Martinez, right? Because he was kind of the guy we were talking about. Really high batting average. He's the one that we would talk about beforehand. Like, oh my God, this guy's so amazing. He's hitting better than everybody in the league. But you stack up his numbers to Jordan Alvarez, Jose Ramirez, Goldschmidt, and Aaron Judge, who are in front of him and Woba. And it's crazy because those guys, way more home runs than he has. Way more RBIs than he has. Everyone besides Judge, a much better strikeout rate. But then you get to that point where you were saying with the Babbitt, right? And his Woba is out of this world because he's putting quality hits in every single game. He's having quality hits. And just to kind of run through the Babbitt, the actual definition. So it measures a player's batting average exclusively on balls hit into the field of play. Removing outcomes not affected by opposing defense, namely home runs and strikeouts. So what this means, right, is on average, 46% (laughs) of the time, let me make sure that's correct. Yeah, 46.8. We'll say we'll round up 47% (laughs) of the time. This fucking dude is is, is getting on base. He's, He's putting a ball in play. That is positively him being on base. Yeah, it is positively impacting the game, and that is going to obviously boost up your woba because it's all about singles, doubles, triples, home runs, right? So in his case, I'm sure if I can look it up here while you go, I'm sure he's got a lot of doubles. Is is what I'd guess if if I had to guess what he's hitting a lot of, I bet it'd be a lot of doubles right now. Yeah, you looked that up. Um, There's something interesting that I want to bring up too. And we don't have the need to get too deep into this, but I want to talk about X Woba a little bit. Um, expected X Woba here with you know expected Woba, so essentially stripping out home runs and replacing that with the park differentiator differentiation there, which ultimately means every player um, is put in the same environment for this X Woba as opposed to like Aaron Judge who plays at Yankee Stadium. And we saw some of the comments earlier this season about how it's a Little League Park, right? Well, Little League Park is at a 444 Woba, but in reality, his <laughs> ex-Woba is actually 465. So take away Yankee Stadium. He's actually better. Thank you very much. Um, but the king at ex-Woba here is Jordan Alvarez at 508. And I think, honestly, it's because if I were to just take this from a real fantasy baseball perspective or just a fan's perspective, when I watch Jordan hit, he absolutely mashes the ball every time. His home runs are always second deck. His home runs are always, you know, 15 rows deep if they're in the first level. And don't get me wrong, Aaron Judge has the same amount of power there, right? If we look at their actual exit velocity on StatCast, you're going to see that they're very similar. And ultimately that, you know, Stanton is the biggest out of all of them. Stan comes in at 97.4, but Alvarez is at 96.1 while Judge is at 95.8. And I really look at his ex-Woba there being Alvarez. It's like, again, he's hitting the ball every park he plays and is always going to be a home run. So that's a little interesting for me as well. Uh, and then on top of it, I look at, again, ex-Woba. Goldschmidt isn't even close 
to these guys when it comes to X Woba. So <laughs> again, uh, Paul Goldschmidt came in second on this list at 442. His X Woba actually comes in at a 0.375. Pretty incredible it's when you actually look at it. Significantly lower, yeah. It is. He's uh, he's not even in the top 30. I had to scroll to the second page on Fangraphs here to even find him. He's 33rd in the league. And it's funny because we're going to talk about FIP here in a minute, and I have another veteran player that actually falls in that mid thirties that you would think is a dominant player based off their statistics, as well as, you know, Goldschmidt's actual Woba. Yeah. And just to jump back to JD. So, um, one thing that's interesting here too, as well is, is JD, he doesn't have as many plate appearances as these guys as well. So he hasn't played in as many games, which obviously helps when you're playing a lot better. I've got uh, I've got 2022 for him. How many games did that list have? It have just had 181. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It was a little it was a little behind. Okay, so I've got him on Baseball Reference. We'll just say 45 games is what I've got. 199 plate appearances. There you go. That's that's um, correct. Yep. AB is 176. I got the five home runs. I got 19 doubles. Damn. He. To your point, we're a third of the way through the season, right? Um, we got. What is it? You know, April, May, June, July, August, September. Yeah, we're third of the, way, of the way through the season. If we continue, we could expect him to have about 56 doubles this season. That's crazy. I, th- I think that would come close to like a record. I, I We'd have to look it up. We talked to Lyle Overbay a while back. That dude was a freak from Milwaukee. <laughs> and he had a lot of doubles. But um, to be fair, kind of keeping this statistical trend alive, back in 2021, J.D. Martinez had 42 doubles for Boston. Actually, the most in his career. He had not hit 40 doubles before. 2018, he had 37. Wow. So that was kind of the highest. So last season with 42, I think he, if he stays healthy, say he plays 140 games, he'll break that record of his own last year. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. Um, going down the list a little bit here, though, some other guys that are in contention right now for... MVP. You got Mookie Betts at six, Bryce Harper seven, uh, Manny Machado at 10 there. You look at their numbers, they're pretty neck and neck. Uh, Harper is obviously going to be leading, or sorry, Betts is going to be leading the clubhouse because honestly, he's just been having a better year. Harper is kind of turning it on. I'm sure his Woba's jumped up significantly here in the past couple weeks, but I think that's going to be the battle for the top right there, right? Between Harper and and bets, I, I can see Machado um, really slowing down, and that shows in the ex Woba numbers there too. Machado's at 404, but the ex Woba's at 363. Harper's Woba's at 417, but his ex Woba man is at 439. And then Mookie Betts' is Woba's at 419, ex Woba at 390. Um, Betts right now is just the leader in the clubhouse when it comes to the regular stats, right? The home runs the RBIs, the strikeout rate's great actually as well. On-base percentage and his slugging is actually a little worse than Harper, but um, when you just look at the raw stats, they're they're a little bit better. But he has played, what is that, four more games and has 29 more ABs than Bryce at this point in the season. Yeah, and um, I think he's a better, like you said, better walk rate, better K rate. Uh, his ISO, his isolated power is a little bit lower, but Bryce Harper's a freaking. I mean, come he, on, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, kind that's, of that's a bad comparison. For, it is if you watch the game, right? Um, but I think that was kind of what I was going to lead into. Like Mookie Betts this season is what the Dodgers traded for. He is what they signed him for at thirty million dollars a year plus, right? Like he's the all around baseball player, yeah. defensively, offensively, table setting, home runs, doubles, driving in runs. He's doing it all. Like that's what you paid Mookie Betts to be. 
you know, a 300 hitter with 30 home runs, 20 stolen bases, gold glove in the outfield, like leader in the clubhouse. That is Mookie Betts at his best. And here he is back at it showing us again. And that's what wins Mookie Betts an MVP come the end of the season if he keeps us right, up. Right, right, right. Because right. as of right now, looking at this list, it's between Mookie, Harper, and Paul Goldschmidt. I'll tell you what. It ain't going to be Paul Goldschmidt challenging yeah, him. I, I, <laughs> I, I like I mean? so. I, I weirdly don't even have uh, Goldschmidt's average is out of this world. You know, yeah, yeah. it's that. That's a stupid number. It, it really is. That's a video game number right there. I just don't see that. I don't see him holding on to that for the rest of the season. He's a now, hot guy too. He's a he's a guy that gets hot. You know, like and I know that from playing fantasy. He'll go on two or three month swings. Normally, end of the season where he takes his average from like a two forty and rises it to like a two ninety to three hundred. I think we might just be seeing it early this season. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. But what's what's interesting is that is that ex woba. You know, like I think that's super alarming for how you know where he could trend right mm-hmm. like that, for, that's almost a full point less mm-hmm. than his than his actual woba is right now i also you see the k rate right it's a really really high k rate i know harper has that same k rate as well that's his big issue too um but i mean the numbers that he has right now i yeah i shouldn't have overlooked him but goldschmidt is going crazy and obviously you know it's going to come down to the last two three months of the season so if you're looking in the betting market right now, right? Like we, I haven't placed anything. We kind of went over our episode. Okay, what we think, who we think is going to win it is, okay, let's really dive in here. You, We have our sample size, right? If you want to put something in now, I do it on one of those three guys. Manny Machado is a nice story, but the Padres aren't there. They're not going to win shit, right, Matt? Like the Padres aren't going to win the division. They'll probably slide into the wild card. Tatis is going to come back, maybe. And if he comes back, he's going to be the shining star. He's going to be the one carrying the Padres, even though it's been all about Manny this year. So what I would do and what I'm going to do is just monitor these three guys for the rest of the season, right? we got about 115 games left, 110 games, depending on where they are in the season. And if Goldschmidt's Woba stays at where it's at, if he can even raise his ex-Woba a little bit here over the next 15, 20, 25 games, he might be able to get it because the Brewers are cooling down. St. Louis is actually playing above what we thought. And why did Bryce Harper win the MVP last year, Matt? He Uh, got hot at the right time. You know, Mm -hmm. we were just sitting there waiting, waiting, waiting. Oh, shit, are the Phillies going to do it? Are they really going to make a run? Is Harper really going to start putting up these numbers? And he just went nuclear for the last two months, and it kind of erased the first two, three months of the season, which is where we're at right now. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, I, I fully agree with you. Um, Goldschmidt's hot right now. Like, if he can stay hot, it to me, it's over. Like, this Goldschmidt is the best version of Goldschmidt over the course of his career. I've seen this Goldschmidt before. I have yeah, never seen yeah. this Goldschmidt an entire season. Like, you're talking about a guy right now that could hit 35 home runs, hit 350, and drive in 120 runs. Like, no question, because the Cardinals are going to pass the Brewers. At this rate, their offense is supreme. Brewers offense is middling as well as the pitchling being questionable at this point. Hater gave up the the game today again. Um, But I do think that it comes down to August, September. Can Harper make a push? Can the Phillies make the wild card? What is Mookie Betts doing? What is Freddie Freeman and Trey Turner doing? Right. Like if Trey Turner and Freddie Freeman are just playing as average 
superstars because they're superstars, but average mm-hmm. superstars. And Mookie's still on this path where he's at 35 home runs, hitting 300 with 120 runs and 100 RBIs, like 20 stolen bases. How do you not give it to Mookie? It comes down to who gets their team into the playoffs. And at the end of the day, who's in the mind of the, of the voters come end of the season? There is a name here that we haven't talked about, and the numbers are jumping off the screen for me in the AL. You talked a lot about K percentage. Um, Jordan's at 15.9, Aaron's at 25.7, you know, which I think his physical abilities kind of overcome that negative attribute of, of strikeout percentage. I mean, he's striking out a fourth of the time, right? Um, Goldschmidt's at 20%, right? And you have Jose Ramirez here at seven <laughs> 7%, but that's not even the number I like. I mean, I love that. That's incredible. That's ha- that's more than half of Jordan Alvarez. Like that's great. His Babbitt. Is at a 253, while his average is at a 291. This is screaming to me that you're about to watch Jose Ramirez get lucky in the second half, and it might not even be close if that's the case, because his woba's already at 431. If he can get that that uh, babip above 280, you'd be talking about a guy that's hitting 330. And a that's Woba. so true. Yeah, man. This is yeah. If you really critically think about that, right? Like mm-hmm. his Woba's third best in the majors right now. His average is probably you know it's middle of the pack, right? He's not even hitting three hundred. Mm-hmm. Um, only has fourteen home runs too, right? Mm-hmm. Like fourteen's a pretty. Actually, I shouldn't say only. Fourteen's a pretty solid it's a good number. Yeah, it's a healthy number at where we are in the season here. But to have that Woba that high. That means his at bat, and like you said, his his quality of the ABs this fool is mm-hmm. taking, and it's not like this is a. I'm not picking on JD at less than 200 ABs. Like this dude's 214 at bats right now, you know, on a team no one gives a fuck about, obviously, which is why no one's paying attention to him. He's got more RBIs already than Judge Gold. He's got the most RBIs on the list. Yeah, dude, and the K rate's That's amazing. Crazy. He's the least lucky out of all of these guys. And he's only walking fourteen percent of the time too, so it's not even. I guess that's yeah. high. That's I guess that's highest on the list too. But this guy's just taking pro at bats, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's a guy to watch, dude, because it's wow. I mean seven percent in two fifty three. Like the two fifty three is what jumps out at me. Like, yeah, if he can get the BABIP up to like three hundred, oh my god, you know, with that seven percent strikeout rate, this this is something we may not see and. Again, we're a third of the way through. Like we have a lot to look at. Judge has been hot. Alvarez has been hot. But we might in two months at our, you know, two thirds of the season look back here. We might be talking about Jose Ramirez as a runaway at that point. Yeah, my screen's got 15 guys right now because I have it zoomed in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Out of the 15 guys, there's three, three right now under 300. Ramirez, Jordan, and down there at 15, Jose Altuve. You see, Jordan, like you yeah. said. Yeah, yeah I mean, Jordan and Altuve. Like you said, you see those numbers jump to shit. Just 315, you know, another 35 to 40 points. These guys, their Woba's going to go up. Their average is going to go up, obviously, right? And who knows, probably for a guy like Jordan, a guy like Jose, even Altuve down there at 15, all their slugging, OPS, everything is going to go up. Yeah, and what sucks is, I mean, I'm not a huge Houston fan, but it's like, of course, Houston, the, their guys aren't even getting lucky at the moment, <laughs> and they've just won seven of nine. Yeah, Like, are you fucking kidding me? And uh, before we get to the pitching, that was kind of the last thing I wanted to say is I wanted to, to touch on Jordan 
just a little bit. You made a great point about Jose Ramirez, but if there's one guy that I'm keeping my eye on and that I might throw a flyer on now, um, after getting deep into this and looking into these numbers and what everyone's kind of doing here, it, it's got to be Jordan, dude. Like what he's doing right now is unbelievable. People are starting to recognize him as a superstar. He's turning into the number one on the Houston Astros. They are running away with the division because the Angels fucking are terrible. <laughs> and like you just said, like, you know, with, with Ramirez, Jordan's at 271 on his Babbitt. He's 423 on his Woba. His expected Woba is 508. You know, like he is just getting ready to pop. And it feels like he's been popping for a while. He's been popping, so, yeah. <laughs> like, it's just, you know, it, it, he's coming into this weird crossroads where you have a feeling that Judge is in either one, inevitably going to slow down, or two, and I don't want this to happen, he's going to get hurt, right? And if one of those two things happens, you're going to be mad if you don't have a ticket in for Jordan right now because his numbers are just below where Judge is right now. But what this projection looks like it could be is him creeping close to 300 in average creeping up to those 20 home runs um, and just really challenging judge because the Astros are going to have a record similar to the Yankees when it's all said and done. So I have to stop myself here because there's a billion things I could comment on and everything you just said, and we have <laughs> to move on to FIP. Um, and you said it, this is a rabbit hole we could we could run down. I had two things to say real quick. Um, Jose Ramirez's ex-Woba doesn't look actually really good at all. It's a 387. That's right. a number that I think is misleading because of everything you and I just talked about, Matt. I think out of all the guys with the Wobas that we were concerned with, the ex-Wobas, he's, I think that's a, a variant rate right there. I think you're going to see him actually continue to go up because of that 7% strikeout, right? Because of the BABIP. I think he's a guy with that ex-Woba that's really hurt with the BABIP. But what's crazy is Jordan's at a 508 ex-Woba with a bad BABIP. His ex-Woba could continue to shoot through the roof to your point of MVP. I 100% agree. And what I hope we see is Jordan and Judge pull a McGuire and Sosa without steroids right. and absolutely battle each other out come like August, September, where it's like, holy shit, you can't not vote for either of them. You know, like when you do right. the voting, it's got to be one, two. And we come down to who got the most for like first place votes because that would be incredible for baseball. And it would really set up, I think, the American League Championship Series, Yankees, Astros, like for this collision course of two, two giants, right? You got the two biggest bats in the AL coming for each other. And that being Jordan Alvarez and Aaron Judge. Um, and I, I do. I think it's really, really, really good for baseball. All right. So to conclude the episode today, we're going to dive into the second um, data point, sabermetrics point here. It is called the FIP. Yes, the FIP. Um, similar to the Woba, I'll break it down for you here in a second. Well, actually, I'll have Matt break it down for you. Um, we're going to go over the pitchers in the, in the major leagues with the best fit compared to their win-loss, their ERA, the Ks, just kind of like what we did, and then kind of break down, right? Like, who do we see picking up here in the next three quarters of the season? Who are we surprised to see doing well? And, you know, maybe let's let's throw a futures on somebody, right, while we're at it. So, um, Matt, go ahead, break down what the fit is here what a good FIP number is. Um, I will try and dumb it down because I'm just learning about this this week now as I've been doing research. So um, this is sweet. Like go go for it. Let's let's run through this. Yeah. So FIP, much like Woba, is really looking at the player itself, taking like a, an opportunity like ERA as the example here. ERA really goes to how many runs is a pitcher allowing per nine innings. 
but you've got the defense. You know, you've got a lot of factors that go into ERA. Now, I still like that, but whip's the same way. A lot of defensive factors as well. Um, a lot of luck involved. When you look at FIP, it is solely looking at the ability to focus on the events a pitcher has most control over. So strikeouts, unintentional walks, hit by pitches, and home runs. It removes the um, the it results on balls hit into the play of the field, right? So yep. if it's a home run in, say, Yankee Stadium or in Miller Park, and it's not a home run in San Francisco, that's going to affect a lot of different factors. That does not matter for the FIP here. So it's really going to be a number that can tell you, hey, is this pitcher the guy? This is my number. If I'm looking at fantasy stuff that I'm going to say, okay, you know, this kid Thompson for the Cubs, he's got a really nice FIP. Like I know he's six and zero with a one nine nine ERA, but like, can I really trust him? Oh, his FIP. What is happened good. to him tonight? Got lit up, right? And I, I didn't actually look at his FIP. Um, I'm just using him as an example, <laughs> but that's the whole idea, he's, right? He, like he's not top 10. That's for sure. I got got yeah. on him today. Big mm-hmm. time. I actually bet on the Cubs to win today because I was like, oh, this kid seems sick. He's playing the Orioles, right? I mean, it happens, right? He had a bad well, let's game. Find, but... Let's find Thompson. Where is he on FIP now? I'm what's like, his, now I'm what's his first name? Uh, is it Keegan Thompson? Is that what it is? Yep, probably... sure is. Is it Keegan Thompson? Yeah. Nailed it. Yep. Hold on real quick. I'm just pulling I know, up I, his... dro- I dropped his ass right after that start. And I was like, <laughs> you're out. <laughs> Seven Jeez. runs. Are you kidding me? I mean, negative points. His fifth today was 18. Oh, um, yeah. Solid. That's a um, winner right there. Yeah. So his fifth um, on the season, I think this is included today, is a 4 4 4. Yeah, that's not good. But yeah, he, he, yeah, but he had his, he had his, uh, he definitely had his worst outing of the season today. He went uh, three innings. Uh, five hits, seven earned, three bombs. Giving yeah. up today. Yeah, that's well. a that's a rough day at the office. Before you dive into it, though, Matt. So just like I'll read the definition here before you get into your point, just to like really, really dumb this down for people. So it, like you said, it's similar to the ERA, but it only focuses on the strikeouts, unintentional walks, hit by pitches, and home runs. The xFIP, which I'm sure you will get into here in a second is the exact same thing except for it quote unquote quote excuse me normalizes the home run component basically what they do is it's based on the average number of home runs allowed per outfield fly which baseball analytics has have these numbers broken down um and i think that's based on the 2021 season still there Matt. yeah yeah, and if you look at FIP and XFIP, the big difference is it XFIP completely strips away any luck. Um, so again, I was talking about Yankee Stadium, Miller Park, and you know, in comparison to like Petco Park, or excuse me, San Francisco Stadium, right? Like deeper walls, XFIP does not matter there. FIP is still going to equate that home run, as you had said. So like those things kind of do matter with FIP. Yeah, it, it, like you said, it's just it. It, it basically it turns it into a, a fly an outfield mm-hmm. fly yep. like just a, a pop-up right yep. or a or yeah it's kind of it's interesting how they calculate that that's really smart but interesting well and and if you know like you and i we did a little research on it today like to start to understand it more like with these formulas that they're using like i still don't fully grasp the concept of the formula itself i understand what the the statistic itself is actually trying to articulate to me in a numbers term, right? Like right, that's right, really right. all I need once I understand, okay, 
FIP is a great indicator for the best pitchers in the game. And this is kind of why, because home runs either do count or don't count. In FIP, home runs matter. In XFIP, they don't matter. Okay, right. Now I can judge this player, right? That's all I'm really looking for. Well, and like, and when I was just trying to like wrap my head around it when you sent me these videos and I was educating myself, is like this both of these offense, defense, these saber metrics, these analytics, this money ball, this whatever the fuck you want to call it, right? It's, I think the, the point behind all of it is obviously to get advantage to grade a player, but it's to actually grade and evaluate the player at their job specifically, right? We're going to take every human element of the game out of it as possible, as best as possible, right? Like you said, Yankee stadium, your player, your team making an error, you throw seven scoreless, but, or sorry, you give up one run in seven innings, but your team doesn't score and you take the L that day. And like, it, it takes out those, I call it the human element. I, I don't think that may be the right way of articulating it, but it shows how good at your job you specifically are, whether you are on the mound or you're swinging the lumber. I think that's what, why I like these two the most for sure. Yeah. And I'm going to kind of jump in here just with something that kind of jumps off the page for me. I was looking at, ERA, FIP, and XFIP here. And I was actually looking at the negative league leaders here. And Kyle Hendricks and Cal Quantrill, Cal Quantrill being for Cleveland and Hendricks being for the Chicago Cubs, are two of the leaders in XFIP um, in the, the highest classification here. So their XFIP's around 4.9 and then 4.8 here for Hendricks. Now, a good XFIP um, like this season, you're looking at the highest XFIP being a, a 1.87 from Shane McC- uh, McClanahan there in Tampa. He's incredible, great player, young kid. His XFIP, uh, again, is 1.87. The next best XFIP comes in at 2.58. I mean, that's a massive difference. That's a big jump. The biggest jump I've seen there in years past was actually to Grom last year before he got hurt, who was out of this stratosphere. We'd have to look them up and maybe we can get those numbers for you, but he was out of this stratosphere. Um, and Shane McClanahan's FIP is at two, uh, 2.59. So in comparison here, you have McClanahan and Kevin Gosman, both kind of the best pitchers in the league. Um, Gosman's FIP is actually better than his XFIP, while McClanahan's XFIP is better than his FIP. So you have them kind of flipped around. But what the numbers tell me is that these two are the best and everybody else falls underneath them. All right, so I pulled up DeGrom's 2021 uh, FIP, XFIP. Obviously, we kind of just talked about that here. His FIP was a 1.24. Holy hell. Um, <laughs> that's, that's just ridiculous, dude. That's so crazy, man. <laughs> um, his XFIP, we just talked about McClanahan's, I think was a 1.87. Uh, DeGrom, 2021, his XFIP, expected FIP, 1.61. That's insane. 15 games started his ex-fip with a 1.61. So to put that in comparison... Yeah, McClanahan's only at... All these guys on the list, the the highest we have here is Montas is at 12, and his ex-fip's at 285, which is incredible still. His fit is 312, you know, pretty solid. Um, And I think this is why you had so much... We were talking on the podcast in months past here, so much confidence in Garrett Cole. Um, His numbers are really good still. Great. Even though he looked via highlights in the internet didn't look good <laughs> dude his numbers are, are really really good here his era is still lights out his fip is good his x fip is just as good um his home runs per nine is solid his walks are a little high for me personally 
But I mean, his K's are up, his innings are up, everything's good for for Garrett Cole. Um, the guy that I loved in the offseason, the pickup I, I love to make me pick Toronto to win, even though it hasn't really panned out for them, the bats haven't been um that great, is is Kevin Gosman, right? And this is and I think this is what gets me so excited about learning more about this and bringing this up on the podcast more in the future is he's five and four, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's five and four with a two seven eight. Okay. I mean, you look at that and you're like, yeah, you know, he's all right. You know, he's he's, he's all he's all right. I mean, that's not those aren't bad numbers. I agree with you. Yeah. What is this HRFB thing here? So if you look at it is it's home run to fly ball rate. So so essentially, three percent of his fly balls are home runs. Yeah. So how many of your fly balls overall end up as home runs? Like a Valdi's at twenty two point nine. Holy hell! Um, Gosman, well, I mean, his, his his are unbelievable. McClanahan's his, at twenty. So Gosman's second in the entire league at 3.2. The best is Martin Perez at 1.6. And Martin's a guy we're going to talk about a little bit here. No, he's a starter. Um, has had very, very, very great numbers this year, but he's never been good, right? Like he's yeah. a guy that's bounced around the league. I mean, we'll just talk about him here. His ERA is at a 1.56. That's insane, right? His XERA is at a 2.58, so expected ERA. His FIPS at a 2.53, so good. Um, and his X fips at a 3.6, so not really that good. Um, average, I'd say 3.6 is league is a good league average there. But because his fly ball to home run rates at a 1.6, yeah, he's keeping the ball in the yard. Like yeah. that's, I mean, mm-hmm. what what else are you supposed to do over there? And then, um, yeah, and then when it comes down to the FIP or the X fip, right? Like if you're keeping the ball in the yard. That's gonna that's gonna significantly help out your grade there because they take out they entirely remove balls hit into the field of play. So as long as your strikeouts are you know your strikeouts are up, your walks are down, and you're not giving up dingers, like <laughs> yeah. you're you're gonna look pretty good on paper there. And yeah. I mean honestly, that's what you what did you say the percentage was two percent one percent one point six one point six yeah, yeah that's unbelievable man unreal. It's unsustainable, now, is what it is, right? Like yeah, it's not. N- yeah. N- now this is like uh, that's making me question the the XFIP number. I, I I don't get how that's so high because you know, ta- it's because it's only because five they're taking because they're taking out the home runs and he doesn't yeah. give up home runs. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. Um. But that that's impressive, especially for a team as bad as as bad yeah. as Texas to have that number. Um. That's good for me. Next time I see him on the mound when I'm betting, I'm I'm sure I can get good value for him. Doesn't well, strike out a lot of guys, that's for sure. Uh, kind of, kind of like Goldschmidt, though. I, I look at Perez and I see regression, a lot of regression coming. Now, I think he's going to be a good pitcher this season. You know, quality guy. If you're fantasy leagues, I, I wouldn't drop him, wouldn't trade him. I think you're going to get quality out of him. But a 1.56 ERA, you're going to have to have regression there, right? And the XFIP is already 100%. telling us that. Yeah. So, like in terms of what I bet on him moving forward, probably not. In all honesty, like is That's he going to pull? Point. Is he going to pull a Keegan Thompson? He could. Um, I think more or less what you see is three, four, five run games out of him, and more consistently. You know, if he plays ten games, maybe six or seven of them, he doesn't have a quality start. Quality start being six innings, three runs or less given sure, up. Sure, sure, sure. Um, but Gosman is Gosman okay, is the what, guy what, on this list. Yeah, I, this is this is my question about him though. Is what is what are your thoughts on the Babip and and um and pitching? You know, like his number is kind of high. He's actually the second highest on the entire list out of all the starters in the league right now in Babip. 
Yeah. Um, is that is that any sort of concern for you? I mean, no. Well, it's actually a good thing. Like, it means he's unlucky. You know, like, so if he's at a three sixty one, much like Jordan is at, say, Jordan Alvarez is also at a three sixty one. What that's telling me is that Jordan Alvarez has been lucky. What that's telling me for Kevin Gosman is the hitters against him have been lucky. So he's actually uh, okay. been so unlucky. so so it works in the same it works in the same fashion for the pitchers but opposite as well. directions yeah cause, okay because Jordan was at two I think mm-hmm. two sixty two seventy which is what we talked about in the last segment yep. okay so that's actually super encouraging that yep. all the like basically thirty seven percent of the time the balls in play that they're getting on base right now and his numbers are still at Great. this ridiculous mark okay, mm-hmm. okay which is look at Perez right he's at a two six three right like, right right a, right right that's a full point lower than Gosman. So like these things are going to, they're going to even out. You're going to see Perez's BABIP go up and you're going to see Gosman's go down. And like Gosman's numbers are already pretty damn good. You know? Yeah. I mean, to say the least. Yeah. They're, they're yeah. great right now. Yeah. Um, another guy that is a uh, dude that is on here that I just saw as well. That's just, just an absolute fucking legend, bro. <laughs> Uh, um, where'd he go? I just lost him. This, oh, so yeah, this is the guy fucking sweeping the nation. Is this you're Nestor talking about Cortez. Uh, the, the mustache boy? The yeah, guy that, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. everyone is jerking this guy off, right? Um, <laughs> I, I've, I've, I've only, I haven't watched one of his starts. I need to, I need to watch him on the MLB package that you blessed me with. But dude, his numbers are ridiculous. Yeah, they're really, really good. But look at that Babip. 239 yeah, yeah. Dude. he's getting yeah, blessed right now for sure 100% but i mean still outside of that though man like even the expected era can you can you break down the expected era and and what that means a little let's bit pu- let's pull it up cuz i actually like i would just have to assume it strips out um your team's defense but let's look at xera under after further review um <laughs> the xera doesn't really have anything to do i don't like that they use era to be honest with you i feel like that makes it more confusing but i don't know what other acronym they'd use for it so um what they end up doing is is it's actually basically the woba for pitching so like the pitching, or excuse me, like hitting and what WOBA does, right? If you just remember to the last segment, what what happens when you have the WOBA, right? We take out the hits and we bring in everything else that you do um, on, on the field, right? And then break it down even farther, singles, doubles, triples, home runs, etc. So what this does, it takes into account the amount of contact and the quality of that contact in an attempt to credit the pitcher or hitter for the moment of contact. So the contact would be a strikeout, walk, hit by pitch. And what they consider the quality of the contact is the exit velocity and the Mm. launch angle. Mm. So they're combining the strikes, walks, hit by pitch, plus the exit velo and the launch angle. And then we're converting this into an ERA scale. So it basically takes that those deeper X Woba numbers is how they're explaining it here, um, um, in, into the the strikeouts, walks, and hit by pitch. You know what that reminds me of? What that one kid in little league that was really really good at pitching, but was like when you watched him, you're like, this kid sucks, right? Doesn't <laughs> yeah. throw hard, like is like soaking wet, eighty pounds. Doesn't really throw a curveball, but when he does, like you, you know, you you tap it because you're so surprised. 
and the kid ends up going into like D1 baseball and you're like, how the hell did that right. kid do that? Right? Like seriously, he, it's not that he doesn't, he's not good at the game. You just look at him physically and you're like, well, I wouldn't expect him to be great, but, and you can't equate why he's good, but he just creates bad contact, you know, that exit velocity, that launch angle. And you, you know, know, has the best XERA it's our boy nestor the stash himself dude he knew he knew top gun was coming out before top gun was coming out (laughs) him and matt uh, carpenter both yeah i mean just that that's a really interesting one as well and another guy that i'm surprised to see at the top of the xera is is garrett cole i mean he's down at nine but surprising once once again it seems you always seem to see garrett cole when he's given up seven Mm -hmm. thousand foot home runs right but you don't (laughs) see him when he has a quality start um that that's blowing my mind a little bit as well i I know we'll wrap it up here in in who we like for al and lmvp who to keep an eye on here um just to kind of kick that off even just starting in the in the national league um i think the leader in the clubhouse here correct me if i'm wrong might be joe musgrove lord have mercy this guy's era is incredible expected era is solid um fip is good his ex-fip is you know not great you look at the Babip, same deal, right? Like he has been on, on the right side of things thus far this season, but you can't really take away from what Joey Musgrove's doing right now. He's six and zero, uh, ten starts, six wins. He is striking out almost nine batters per nine, and um, yeah, that one point six four ERA is not too shabby. Yeah, I have less faith in Musgrove than I have in Gosman, but I think they're very similar profiles as of right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you look at the XFIP that does concern me with Musgrove. Um, Severino also concerns me there. So does Martin Perez with all these guys on this list. I mean, and but, uh, the other guy who's up Manoa. there too is in Al- Alcantara as well. Yeah. Um, Your boy, I, Sandy. I'm going to agree with you here. I think Cy Young and Al Musgrove has probably probably the lead right now, but I think Zach Wheeler could easily climb into this. I think Aaron Nola has an opportunity. We kind of talked about that on Sunday's conversation with, you know, it's an even year, Aaron Nola, it's his year. Um, right. But I want to see a little bit more. I think Rodon could also make a strong push. He had a really bad start tonight though, with four innings. He had a pitch count of, I think 50 through two. It was pretty bad. Yeah, that was in- a surprising game tonight. That was an outlier mm-hmm. tonight against Colorado at home. I don't, that was a weird one. He's had a couple of those the last few games. He gave up seven against St. Louis like about a week and a half ago or two weeks ago. That was kind of the start of these lack of quality starts for Carlos Rodon. I don't know if he's laboring due to an injury. I don't know if it's the heat. I don't really know what it is, but it's something to keep an eye on. But if he can figure out how to pitch like he did the first month, he could definitely give Musgrove a run for his money. And honestly, again, talk about the ERA. There's room for regression. Musgrove's not going to pitch to a 1.64 all season. It doesn't matter how great you are. He's not Jacob deGrom. So... I want to see what kind of regression is it? And is it a slow regression that keeps him in this Cy Young con- like contention? Because right now it's his to lose. Yeah, no, 100%. I agree with you because the guys you bring up, right? The Aaron Nolas of the world. Mm-hmm. When it comes down to guys voting for you, he's three and four. You yeah. know, his numbers aren't great right now. <laughs> yeah. The next the next best guy on the list, if you're just looking at the raw numbers, not this deep analytical stuff, is Sandy Alcantara. And his underlying numbers are sketch, to say the least, right? His bab has been really good for him as well. And that XFIP is pushing four. You know, a lot of the guys at the top of the list right now um, in the AL and NL 
are are looking at high XFIP. So I agree with you. I think right here, twenty five percent of the year done, we're, we're looking at something really really interesting here. The one outlier going into the uh, the American League here is going to be your guy McClanahan, right? Yeah. You look at his numbers. He looks like he can sustain this. Oh, I'll say I'll say a sub two five, or he'll be at yep. two five. I wouldn't be surprised to see him at two five for the rest of the year. He's already got six wins. He has a ton of quality starts. He has the highest K per nine that I see on this list right now. He might be number one. Mm-hmm. And um, Tampa is a competitive team. They're they're playing a little shitty right now, but once again, it's early. That's a tough division. And if you can throw up fifteen to twenty wins, that K rate, a sub two five ERA in that division. I think that can win you. Um, that can win you a Cy Young, and then the dark horse, the Silver Fox, White Lightning, whatever you want to call him. Uh, his underlying numbers are terrible, but you know, Justin Verlander, Verlander yeah, Jesus yeah. Christ, dude, his number. I mean, what what, what can you say? Two two three, right? Um, once again, you you brought this up off 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 camera. Three three five nine x FIP. FIP is at three. XERA is three six zero. Um, when is it going to bite him in the ass? I don't know, but Lord, has something, God's on his side because did you see his Babbitt? Point one nine nine. That's yeah, got to be the lowest Babbitt I've ever seen in my life, right there. It's and I, and this is and this has just got introduced to me very recently here. But that it's is bad. that is being touched by God. Are you well, kidding me? Tristan McKenzie actually has a lower one, and Tristan's been pretty good over the last couple of weeks too. Tristan said point seven five Babip, and he's had ten games, nine started. Um, but I said this to you off air. I said him and uh, being Verlander and Adam Wainwright, they're older. They know some things and have some tricks up their sleeves that other younger pitchers don't have because they've been in the league longer. You know what I mean? Like, I just strongly believe you. As crazy as those numbers are in, in terms of what he's actually doing this season. Sometimes those guys can just manipulate the ball and the, the situation and they're just veterans, you know, like they find a way to get it done. So I'm going to continue to monitor, monitor Verlander because, yeah, what he's doing is insane. And I tweeted <laughs> about it the other day. Up until today, he pitched seven strong innings today. He, he had a problem of going into the seventh inning. And I think two of his last three starts, he actually had a perfect game or a no hitter going into the seventh. And then he lost it and then like completely fell off the rails, not giving up seven or eight runs, but like he'd give up one or two or three runs and you'd be like, damn, why didn't you pull him, Dusty? Like this is this is happening all year long, you know, and he's only out there because he's got a no hitter. And today was finally the opportunity for him to go seven strong. He did that at 12 K's. So I'm interested in these numbers, dude, but. Um, the guy I'm actually interested in too is Dylan Cease. You talked about the highest caper nine. Shane O'Mac definitely is right there, but Dylan Cease is actually a little bit higher at 12.5. Shane O'Mac's at 12.45. The difference here though is Dylan Cease is giving up 4.6 um walks per nine in comparison to Shane's one. Yeah, that's 1. not gonna 6. cut it. No, that's not that's gonna bad. cut it. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, the last thing I'll say about Dylan Cease here, um, I think he has the opportunity to make a push, but you got to cut those walks down. Yeah, you, you can't. Um, his fly ball to home run rate, though, is actually much better than Shane's. It's at a 9.3, while Shane O'Max at a 20. Um, and honestly, with as well as Shane is pitching, that's surprising. Kind of like that Aaron Judge 25% strikeout rate right. with what Aaron is doing. Like it might just show you that Shane's so good at everything else when he gives up home <laughs> runs, they're solo shots, you know, and like so be it. 
He's yeah, striking I, guys out at, at such a high rate. You're going to have a higher home run to fly ball rate because you don't have as many fly balls. I'm sure he throws uh, pretty decent velocity if he's striking that many dudes mm-hmm. out. No doubt about it. Yeah. Um, I'm glad, and we'll wrap this here right now, but I'm, I'm glad neither one of us even mentioned the name Carlos Carrasco because <laughs> for him, him and Tyler Anderson, Anderson's numbers are a little bit more respectable, but for Carrasco to be leading the majors in wins right now, um, tied with Tyler Anderson, this guy, this guy's got a three five two ERA, and he's got seven wins. Like, talk about just being on the hottest team on the planet. I'm shocked his Babbitt's only at point three one nine. Well, and dude, the uh, the frustrating thing about Tyler Anderson for any of those fantasy baseball players out there, I had rostered Gonsolin, Tony Gonsolin, that is, and Dustin May for about three years. And the problem with both of those players was the, the Dodgers just never had a rotation spot available. You know, their their pitching was so deep. Here we are in 2022. You have Tyler Anderson, who has bounced around this league, lands in this rotation, has a stable job, has pitched in 10 games, has started eight of them, and Looks here good. he is at 7-0. and oh, You know, and like, does, honestly, underlying numbers, this kid's a Not pretty okay f- five starter. Like, one, probably one of the better five starters in Major League Baseball. But 7-0, and oh, that's insane. It's stupid. Well, everyone, we'll see you next week on our Wednesday episode. We got a change up for you, so we'll see you guys next week. As always, follow us on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at PitcherBetPod. You can follow Matt Morris on Twitter at Matt underscore E underscore Morris. And you can follow me at Matt underscore Guest. See you guys next week. Cheers.